Is that better? It would help if the pastor would turn it on. Perfect. Thanks. Um, So go ahead and take this sheet out. And uh, here's uh, kind of the analogy as we look at uh, the Building Together program uh, that we have here at our church. I kind of look at it like a cross-country race. I know. Surprising, huh? And here's what happened. We got about 200 meters uh, into the race and we fell. Uh, And it's been a hard last couple of months. And those of you that are part of our church, you know what I'm talking about. And we've got back up now. And the race continues. And we're at the part of the race where where, where we just need to settle in. And we need to work our way back up to the front of the pack again. And that's kind of where we're at right now. And so you will be receiving one of these reports quarterly uh, from here on out. And uh, you will see on uh, this report uh, that you'll get a message from me. And in this one, I talk about how we're all a part of the body of Christ and and that we all need to be involved in uh, building together in some fashion. Uh, And then on the left-hand side of the paper there, you'll see the new building balance. And so right now we have $428,427. That's where that account sits. And you'll see contributing households. Uh, So there's 69 contributing households. We have, just to put that in perspective for you, we have about 160 to 170 households in our church. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of perspective. So if you're not involved, I want to encourage you uh, to think about that, pray about that, and, uh, and make some decisions that way. Uh, at the bottom of the sheet there, you'll see a contractor update. And uh, you probably already know this, but in the construction world, uh, costs are extremely high. Uh, and we see here that uh, payroll costs are, are up 12%. Uh, building materials are up 30%. And so in terms of, of building, it's, I mean, honestly, it's not a great time. I mean, it's just everything's expensive. Uh, but, but here is what we're doing. It's the last part of what I wrote in my section. We are trusting in God's provision, and we are trusting in his timing. Okay? So, so be praying uh, about those two things, for his provision and his timing. Um, and so as we move uh, forward, uh, and as we get back up, and we weave our way to the front of the pack again, uh, be thinking about these things, be praying uh, about these things uh, in this year uh, as we try to rebound uh, from where we're at. All right, that's that. Let's uh, go ahead and get into uh, the message for today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Uh, turn to Matthew 7. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 23. This morning we are in week 10 uh, of our series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And today um, we're, we're going to take a look at this passage. And I titled the message today, Form Versus Content. And what I mean by that is that it's kind of like my golf swing, right? When I go and I take a lesson uh, on my golf swing, you know what they tell me? They tell me, basically, you have a decent swing, right? You, you have a good golf swing. 
But in reality, when I go out on the golf course and, and actually play, my, my golf swing is probably average at best. And so the content or the outcome of my swing is not as good as the form of it. The swing looks good, but the outcome isn't great. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about the kind of person and what he has to say, quite frankly, is a little unsettling. He talks about false prophets about wolves in sheep's clothing, uh, about people whom he says, you know what, I I never knew you. Pretty convicting, isn't it? And and during this entire series, we've basically been talking about the difference between religion and spirituality. And this passage this morning defines more than any other in this Sermon on the Mount, what that difference means in our lives. Religion is good form. Looks good on the surface, but there's no depth. Spirituality, on their hand, is good content. The essence of spirituality goes beyond surface level and it examines the heart. And in this passage, we see that it is possible to be religious and still miss out on a relationship with God. Being religious is just not enough. If we have a relationship with God, we go beneath the surface and we experience heart change. And really, form is not enough. We must strive for what? Content. And it's not easy because we live in a society obsessed with what? With form. We're not always all that concerned about what's in the package as we are the package itself. I mean, did you know when you buy a microwave dinner, you pay more for the packaging than the food? Kid you not. Did the research. But because they know if the package is not attractive, people won't, they won't buy it. And that's true in a lot of different things in our culture. As a society, we tend to value form over content. The fact is, is that good form is easier to maintain than good content. Right? It's easier to project a good image than to develop the substance behind it. And I got to tell you, I'm as guilty as anyone. I'm not standing up here this morning telling you that I'm got it all together. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm thankful for what Christ has done in my life. And so I'm probably preaching to myself more than I am to you today, to be quite honest. Well, let's go ahead and look at five ways we can be healthy as believers in our walk with Christ and with each other. Go ahead and take your note sheets out. You can follow along with me. The first way is to think about how you want others to treat you. First part of Matthew 7, uh, verse 12 says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you. Right? We know this as the golden rule. But, but when Jesus speaks these words, he's actually like putting his own spin on it. Because this already was a common saying in Judaism. 
the, the saying was, you should not do to your neighbor what you would not want him to do to you. Did, do you see what Jesus did to it, though? Right? He flips it. He flips it to the positive. And in doing so, Jesus makes this command much broader. Right? It's like the difference between uh, not breaking traffic laws and doing something positive like helping a stranded motorist. Maybe that's something like that. All right, bad example, but, you know, something along the lines. Right? It especially applies to Christian fellowship. Right? If we experience love and have people reach out to us, then then what do we do? We will give others love and reach out to them. Have you ever thought about how you want to be treated? Like, it's pretty cool to have people be courteous and polite and respectful to us, right? But but maybe we should think about other things. Well, like, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be... I want to be challenged to excel. I appreciate those people in my life who push me to be better, whether it's playing golf or riding my bike or looking after my spiritual or physical health. Right? I want people to hold me accountable. And when I make a mistake or I get lazy or I speak inappropriately, I want those that care about me. Now, that's a key word there, right? Not just anybody, right? Those that care about me and close to me, right? I want them to bring that to my attention. At the same time, when I do make a mistake, I would like others to like forgive and forget. Right? Because that's what God does for us, doesn't he? He he forgives us when we confess our sins to him, and then he what? He buries it in the deepest sea. My, my second thought about verse 12 is that we need to think about how you treat others. Second part of verse 12, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so when we think about how we want other people to bring out the best in us, we have to ask ourselves, are we making an effort to bring out the best in, in others? And when you think about it in this light, Jesus makes this command much broader. It's like when David sinned with Bathsheba, right? And he sends her husband out to be murdered. And the prophet Nathan comes to David and asks him about it. And David repents, right? Not an easy thing to do. But, but he did it because the purpose was to restore David to God's forgiveness and not to banish him to God's judgment. And so when David repents, Nathan told him in 2 Samuel twelve thirteen, the Lord has put away your sin. And when you think about how we want others to forgive us and our mistakes, it begs the question on how are we doing in the forgiveness department. And I got to tell you, you guys do pretty well from what I can see. Right? If we want to be forgiven, then forgive. If we want to be encouraged, then encourage someone. If you want to be treated gently, then treat others gently. It's exactly how Jesus lived his life, right? The way he wants to be treated, he treated each one of us. And more than anything else, he wants us to love him. And so what does he do? He gives us his love first. 
right? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Treating others as you want to be treated helps us become more like Jesus. And then he finishes this verse for the, it is the law and the prophet. And Jesus shows that this simple principle summarizes all the law and the prophets say about how we should treat other people. And if we would simply treat others the way we would want to be treated, we would naturally obey all the law and what it says about our relationships with others. The third way to be healthy is this. Think about uh, looking for it. And here's what I mean by that. Look at uh, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I, I don't think Jesus said this like with a smile on his face. It doesn't make him happy that, that only a few find the way. He's just stating a sad fact here. And really what he does is he commits the modern sin, right, of narrow-mindedness. But that's what, if Jesus were here in our culture today, people would say, you are narrow-minded, dude. But, but to Jesus, there is no doubt that there is a right road and there is a wrong road. That there is a narrow as the gate and difficult as the way that leads to life. And the true gate is narrow and hard. So I got to tell you, if your road that you're on and, and you come up to the gate and it's easy and it's well-traveled, you might want to take a second look. Last part of verse 14, it says, those who find it are few. The Greek word there is translated for the word find. It's an interesting word. It's, it's a word not used to intensely search for something that is hard to find. But that's not how it's used. It is used to describe something that is found simply by making the effort to look for it. Right? Example, Luke 9, feeding of the 5,000, finding food and lodging, right? The disciples were like, Jesus, you need to send these people away to find food and a place to stay for the night. It's getting late and we're out here in the wilderness. Right? It was an easy thing to do. They just needed to go and get it done. The implication is not that many people look for the way and never find it. The implication is, is that not many people even bother to look. And when it comes to form versus content, most people will settle for good form and they won't search for good content. Do you know statistically how people find a church? They don't look at the theology of the church or their beliefs or practices. According to the Lifeway and the Barna Group, they look for a good location, adequate parking, clean nurseries, friendly people, convenient service times. Right? Nothing wrong with any of those. In fact, we strive for those things. But let's not let our search for spirituality come to a halt just because we can't find a parking spot close to the door. And I'm so thankful that you're a part of our church. But I got to tell you, there's more to the Christian life than what takes place here on Sunday morning. Keep looking. Not for another church, mind you, but keep looking. <laughs> right? For, for a deeper relationship with God. Remember, remember at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus said, seek and you'll find. 
you want a closer relationship with God, you can have one. All you got to do is what? You got to look for it. In the Old Testament, God said this, Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. So if we want to build something beyond the surface of our lives, we have to look beyond the surface. And it takes a lot of effort to develop content in our lives. It's easy to pretend to be religious. But the narrow way is to seek to become spiritual. A few people bother to seek the narrow way. But those that do look for it, they find it. All right, the next step uh, to health in the Christian life, number four, is to think about examining the content of your life. Verses 15 to 18, beware of false prophets who come uh, to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are, are ravenous wolves. You, you will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear uh, good fruit. And what I think uh, Jesus is driving at here is that an apple tree occasionally might turn out a bad apple. It doesn't mean the whole tree is worthless, but if an apple tree consistently turns out bad apples, then what? Something's up. This is how we guard ourselves from false prophets, by looking at their fruit. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So, so what's the fruit? Well, you, I, I, let's just start with like Christ-likeness, Right? Personal holiness. It's the same fruit that Paul lays out in Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right? These are the fruits by which followers of Christ are known. These are the fruits that we all should have in our lives as Believers, and then 2 Corinthians 13, 5 uh, says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this uh, about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you indeed, uh, you fail to meet the test. So we should be concerned uh, about each other having an assurance of salvation and how to endure the attacks that come from Satan in this area. But at the same time, we should also understand that they, there are some that assume that, that they are Christians when they probably are not. And so this is a challenge to us all. And we are very often ready to examine and test others. But first, always first, always first, we must examine and test who? Ourselves, right? To, to examine yourself it is, in fact, to submit to the examination and the scrutiny of Jesus Christ. And this is never to fix attention on sin, but it is to fix our attention on Christ. It is to ask him to reveal what is in us that grieves his spirit. To, to ask him to, to give you the grace that, that, that 
is cleansed, that, that our lives would be cleansed by his precious blood. And then self-examination takes away the hardness of our hearts and it sets the prisoner free. So we, you know what? We can have all the theology books we want. We can take all the classes, have the degree, be a Christian for 40, 50 years. But if we don't have love, joy, and peace in our lives, then we don't have the content that is needed. So what are we to look for when we examine and we test ourselves? We are to see that Christ is in us. We're not to look for perfection. But we should see some real evidence that Christ is in us. And each one of us needs to take a hard look at the fruit in our lives. What is it that we are producing? Do we treat others with love? Do I have a sense of joy in my life? Do we experience peace and God's presence in our lives? And if the examination turns up bad fruit, then something needs to be fixed. We need to come to God and we need to say the content of my life isn't what it should be. And so, God, take away the anger and fill my heart with love. God, take away the bitterness and fill my heart with joy. Take away the inner turmoil and fill my heart with your peace. God, take away anything about me that's not like you. Examining the fruit in our lives. I know it can be painful, but it also can be very rewarding. And it is the only way to ensure that we spend our lives developing substance rather than perfecting an image. So if we want good content rather than just good form, we must examine the fruit in our lives. All right, last one, the fifth way uh, to be healthy as a Christ follower, is to think about getting to know him. Verses 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you read that? But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Three phases, phrases just kind of jumped off the page at me when I was going over this, this last week. The first one is, but the one who does the will of the Father. The, the person who enters the kingdom of heaven is the person who does God's will. That's what it comes down to. Not doing what we want, but doing what the Father wants. Surrendering our will to his will. Letting him call the shots in our life. And this is the question that I ask myself all the time. I know that I'm, that I'm busy, but am I busy doing the will of God? Here's the second phrase. That just jumps off the page. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And Jesus speaks these words to people who have prophesied and cast out demons. They perform miracle all in Jesus' name. And yet he calls them what? Workers of lawlessness. And these people have pretty impressive resumes, right? Spiritual accomplishments. They've done all of these things, but they mean nothing without true fellowship. 
And Jesus doesn't even doubt their claims, does he, of doing the miraculous. He doesn't say, like, you didn't really prophesy, right? Or you really didn't cast out those demons, or you really didn't perform those miracles. This leads us to, to, to think about that sometimes miracles are given through pretend believers, reminding us that in the final analysis, really, miracles really prove nothing. And catch this, they even did it in the name of Jesus, and yet they never really had a relationship of love and fellowship with Jesus. Another phrase that jumps out at me is that I never knew you. In the end, there's one basis of salvation, and it isn't mere verbal confession. It's not spiritual works. It's all about knowing Jesus and being known by him. By the way, I don't think these are people who lost their salvation by any means. I think they never had it. Developing a life of content means having a relationship with Jesus that extends beyond what others see and it extends into who you are in the private place. It's about a personal relationship. So I want to encourage you today to get to know Jesus. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Seek to do his will. Seek to serve him. And that's how we can make sure that our lives have content rather than just mere form. And if you need help figuring that stuff out, it's exactly why we teach our our growth classes here at our church. Sign up for them. Go to them. and, And we'll help you have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for... Uh, your word today. And God, I, I pray for each and every person that is here today, God. God, God I pray that, that we would be a people who treat others well. And then, God, I pray that we would be a people that would examine our own lives. And God, I pray that the content of our lives would be pleasing and acceptable to you. God, I pray that we would live in your will. Would you reveal that to us, each and every one of us today? And God, I pray that that we would be a people that would get to know you like never before. No matter how long we've been a believer, God, I pray that we would see your face. Maybe you're here today and maybe you need to put your faith in Christ. You've never done that before. I want to tell you this morning that it's important to remember that salvation is not received by reciting a prayer. Salvation is in faith in Christ. It's by receiving Jesus as Savior, by fully trusting in Him and Him alone. And if you're here today and you would like to ask Christ to come into your heart and life and thank Him for all that He's done, feel free to pray along with me this morning. Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. 
So no longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. And by faith, I want to receive your gift of salvation. And I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. God, I want to thank you for, for coming to this earth and for dying on a cross for my sin. Thank you for giving me the gift uh, of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.